The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, this is Michael Brown, delighted to be with you live again on the line of fire. I've got good news, bad news, and good news. The good news is we are here live, and all is well, and I'm ready to take your calls on any subject under the sun, as we've been catching up for not being live. So we're we're opening the phones as we have last couple of days. So anything you want to talk to me about, any Bible question, anything theological, moral, cultural, anything that intersects with the line of fire on any level, give me a call, 866-348-7884. That's good news. The bad news is that I've come up to our brand new studio, which looks absolutely amazing. I'm stunned by the job the team has done, but for some reason... Although our team connected fine from here yesterday, we are not connecting properly with our studio today because of which I myself have called in to the broadcast, so my voice will not be quite the same as through the mic. That's the bad news. The good news is, though, the studio looks amazing, and it's our plan, God willing, to be broadcasting with video and audio from the new studio on Monday and with a brand new intro to the line of fire. All right. If you've got question, comment of any kind, it can relate to COVID, some of the issues we've talked about this week, vaccines. It can relate to moral cultural issues, biblical theological issues, 866-348-7884. Oh, okay. Is it too late to turn the moral and cultural tide in America. That's what I want to focus on. I want to read you something that I wrote 11 years ago at the end of my book, A Queer Thing Happened to America. Before I do that, I tweeted this out, oh, yesterday. Overwhelmingly, people have agreed, some have challenged the statement. But I tweeted this out. And so before we talk about, is it, is it too late, to turn the moral and cultural tide in America. I tweeted this out. Please don't say these three things about COVID, okay? Please don't say these three things about COVID. One, it's barely more than the common cold. Two, if you used ivermectin or fill in the blank with whatever drug it, it is, you'd be fine. Three, stay away from the hospitals They are trying to kill you there. It is these blanket statements that are being made. It is these unqualified statements that are being made that to me are very dangerous and at the very least inaccurate and lacking in understanding and compassion. First statement, it's barely more than the common cold. Maybe for millions of people, 
it was barely more than the common cold. Maybe for millions of others, it wasn't even as bad as the common cold because they were asymptomatic. But the common cold does not kill millions of people the way COVID has. Common cold does not leave people with long-haul issues for months and months and months. Common cold is not putting, at different times, hospital emergency rooms on overload. The, the common cold is not the threat that COVID is. And when people add barely more than the common cold, that's nothing. Well, well, that is the spitting on, on the graves of those who've died. And it's spitting on the families of the bereaved. And it's spitting on the lives of those who are suffering long-haul symptoms. So, so please, a, a little wisdom, a little compassion. Second thing, don't just say, well, if you used ivermectin or hydrochloroquine or whatever it is, you'd be fine. I myself used ivermectin. I also used quercetin, which my doctor thought was more effective than hydrochloroquine. After that, after five days of that, there was another doctor who's worked with 6,000 plus COVID patients and is a friend of, the, uh, of a friend of our, of our family. And we spoke with him. He said, well, let's just be aggressive in a few things. Let's get you on antibiotics, so azithromycin, and, and then on prednisone, a steroid, just to fight some other things uh, that, that you could be dealing with here. So I was subsequently on those drugs as well. The, the fact is there, there is no miracle cure. Do I have an issue with many of these drugs being hard to come by, specifically ivermectin and hydrochloroquine? Do I have an issue with pharmacies not provi providing them, prescribing them? Yes, absolutely. But there's no miracle cure. I mean, I heard from people, oh, well, were you on this? Or you? Yeah, I was on this. And I have friends who died who were on these same treatments. So there's no miracle cure. Let, let's not be so silly about this. Third thing, stay away from the hospitals. They're trying to kill you. I've had people post that on my Facebook page that were praying for me when I, when I said I had COVID. Stay away from the hospitals. They're trying to kill you. Now, I did not want to be in the hospital. I ended up for one day, and it ended up because of heart issues related to COVID. I didn't want to be in the hospital. Absolutely. And, and some of my friends who almost died, had absolutely horrific experiences in the hospital. You're going to die. I mean, an angry nerd, you're going to die. And you don't want to get on the ventilator. If you do, you're going to die a slow death or someone coming in to perform last rites unasked for. And, and there have been healthcare providers who said, hey, look, we, we've got some compassion burnout. We, we, are, you know, we, we are struggling because of being so overworked and all of that. And in some cases, the hospitals may not be following the best protocol. In other words, their system may not be the best system. And, and maybe people have died because they haven't been treated correctly. But this idea, this, this immoral, insulting idea that, oh, they're trying to kill you in the hospital. That is such a slap in the face uh, of all the healthcare providers who are working so hard to get people better and who want to see people get better. We've even told family and friends of mine that have, that have had family members in the hospital say, hey, we're praying too. We're pray I mean, the reason they're doing what they're doing 
is because they want to see people get better. You say, well, it's just a job. Well, it's a good job. We're not talking about the CEOs of Big Pharma and is there mixed motivation with them? And is this driven by greed? Those are all other questions. Of course, God knows the answers to those. But please, friends, can we be more responsible? Is, is that too much to ask? Is it? 866-348-7884. Okay, let me share with you what I wrote in... Um, well, tell you what, let me go, let me go back further. I, I want to go back to... 1989, 1989, my book, The End of the American Gospel Enterprise. Are you ready? This is the introduction. America needs to repent. Few believers would disagree with these words. Our country has fallen headlong into sin. Drug abuse and pornography are everywhere. Murder and rape abound. And the family has been all but destroyed. Millions of unborn babies have been butchered for money and little children tortured and killed. Perversion has become an alternate lifestyle, and almost all fear of God is gone. Where is the Church of America? With all of our conferences on spiritual warfare and intercession, how are we changing our nation? Every two seconds, a violent crime or theft is committed. Three babies are aborted every minute. Ten women are raped every hour. This does not include the thousands of other rapes that are never reported. Fifty-six people are murdered every day. Our gospel has not affected the streets. A nine-year-old boy eating breakfast saw a girl riding a snowmobile outside his window. He got his father's rifle, fatally shot her as she rode by, and returned to eat his cereal. What has happened to conviction? We've become a people without conscience. 400 teenagers commit suicide every month. 10,000 more try each week. Our church youth programs have hardly touched them or given them a reason to live. The porno industry makes $9 billion a year. How much of that money comes from believers? Over 25 million Americans admit to illicit drug use. More than 10 million are acknowledged alcoholics. The devil is taking men and women captive faster than we're setting them free. Recently, a father was arrested for now allowing another man to rape his daughter in exchange for crack. More than 4 million couples now live together out of wedlock, and courts have recognized homosexual marriages. But the church has little to boast about. The divorce rate among believers is as high as the divorce rate in the world, and pastors in every denomination have been caught in adulterous affairs and homosexual activities. 4 million of our countrymen are child molesters. One of them sexually abused 380 children before he was caught. Ministers and Sunday school teachers have been arrested on similar charges. Yes, America needs to repent, but the state of the nation is the fault of the church, and as God's judgments fall, they will first be falling on us. America needs to repent. The judgments of God are here. His people are being shaken. Can your house stand today? I wrote that in 1989, and to be honest, even as I read it now, it's jarring. It's it's painful. It's eye-opening. It hits me between the eyes. And, and, and notice that I wrote already in 1989, courts have recognized homosexual, quote, marriages. But the church has little to boast about. The divorce rate among believers is as high as the divorce rate in the world. And pastors 
in every domination have been caught in adulterous affairs and homosexual activities. On the one hand, this deeply underscores to me that revival is our only hope. Uh, on the one hand, this reinforces to me that our efforts must be put in gospel directions, in prayer, in fasting, in repentance, in preaching to the lost, in making disciples. This must be the case. And the more you look at the situation, the more you realize that there is no political answer to the woes and pains of America. I wrote that in 89. In 2011, I said it's not too late to turn the tide, speaking in particular to cultural changes through LGBT activism. Is it too late today? We're going to tackle that when we come back and take your calls on a wide range of subjects, 866-784. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be live back with you. Uh, basically, for those just wondering about my health, uh, COVID is, is pretty much all behind me, tested uh, negative earlier in the week. And it's just a matter of, of this uh, affecting my heart a little, this AFib thing. That has to be deal with, but I, I'm trusting God for a full, complete, 100% recovery there. And the doctor said, with my active lifestyle and health, the goal is just to get the heart fully back to normal. So either through natural means or supernatural means, uh, I feel totally confident that we will uh, be 100%. Excuse me, full strength on every level. All right, if you have a question for me on any subject. Under the sun, as long as it relates to the line of fire, give me a call, 866-348-7884. I'm going to the phones momentarily, but before I share with you what I wrote back in 2011, when I said it's not too late to turn the tide, I just want to say this briefly. The reason that my answer is no it is not too late to turn the tide. No, it is not time to throw in the towel and to say that the culture wars are over, that the church is defeated here, that all we can do is wait for Jesus to return. The reason that I do not hold that perspective is because of the lordship of Jesus, because of who he is because of the fact that Jesus continues to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and his word remains true. And Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. That has not changed. And based on that, he says to us, go and make disciples of the nations. That commission has not changed. 
it has not been adjusted. You say, well, he didn't say there that the whole world would be changed. No, but he did say that we were called to go and make disciples. And, and when you win the lost, that brings about change. When lost sinners come to faith and become disciples of Jesus, that in itself brings about change. I, I am burdened over the direction of our society. I do not have any thought that before Jesus returns, there will be perfect righteousness. But I do believe that we can see dramatic gospel-based moral and cultural change. And the more time I spend with God, and the more time I spend communing with Him and worshiping Him and meditating on His Word, the more confidence rises, the more assurance rises, the more I believe that the pushback will continue and that we will see revival in the Church. Let me mention that March 1st, my newest book will be released, The Silencing of the Lambs. It is about the ominous rise of cancel culture and how we overcome it. Please hear me, friends. When I wrote that book, I intended to write the bulk of it dealing with cancel culture and what's happening in this world around us, and then taking the last two chapters, like I did with Jezebel's War with America, and focusing on practical solutions. Instead, as I wrote the book, about a half of it, devastatingly, overwhelmingly, clearly lays out what's happening in the world around us. I mean, it's an eye-opener. But then the second half of the book, which includes the majority of the chapters, is focused on practical solutions, because the church cannot be canceled, and the Word of God cannot be bound. And as you listen to me talk about the evils in the world around us, I want to encourage you even more that you're a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're a disciple, and therefore a world changer, if you're in right relationship with God. The light in you is more powerful than any of the darkness that surrounds you. I don't mean the light of our human positivity. I mean the light of God himself living in us. The Word of God remains living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The shield of faith remains able to withstand all the fiery darts of the wicked. Why should we be cowering in fear? Why should we be walking around discouraged? Why should we be hopeless when Jesus rose from the dead? No, it is not too late to turn the tide. The battle is serious, but it is not too late turn the tide. Okay, with that, we go over to the UK. Mario, thank you for calling the line of fire. Thank you for getting the call, Dr. Brown. I'm actually originally from Italy, but uh, I live in the UK, and I listen to your show whenever I can, and uh, I love your work. Actually, I will love to donate thank you, sir. on a monthly basis. So if, you can, uh, if you can remind me the best way to donate to, uh, to your work, that would be really appreciated. Uh, my question relates to one textual variant which has been bugging me a little bit, which is uh, John 1.18. Uh, some translations have uh, the only begotten Son, other translations have the only begotten God, uh, others have the only uh, one Son, right? So there's a bit of difference there which seems to me affects the theology a little bit. Uh, so I wanted to get your um, kind of thoughts around it. Thank you very much. 
Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mario. Um, this is a famous textual problem. And as the NET Bible notes say, it's a notoriously difficult one. And you would only need the difference of one letter in the Greek, which would distinguish be- between uh, monogenes theos and monogenes weos. So the only God and the only Son. Let me first encourage you, if you're looking for a, a good source that's readily available online, go to NET, as a New English translation, netbible.org, netbible.org, and then just go to John 118, and you'll see note 45 to John 118, it's, uh, the, the, uh, the textual note there is very, very detailed, uh, gets into great length, uh, but it's accessible, it's, it's understandable. And based on this, it renders no one has ever seen God, the only one himself God, who is in closest relationship, closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. I do believe, sir, that that is the best textual reading. So the only God. It's not the only begotten God. That would be a misreading but rather the one and only God. That's how he would be identified. And that would be in keeping with the revelation of of the rest of John. He is the the one and only God, but he himself makes the Father known, the unseen, invisible one whom no one has seen. The Son makes him known. Now, to me, this is not a hill to die on. In other words, we have all of John's Christology to point to the deity of the Son, beginning in John 1.1 and culminating in John 20.28. So that's not at stake. But this does seem to be the best reading. And if you will go again to netbible, netbible.org, you'll find a detailed note with links or references to other scholarly work on this. that that I, I and it gets into you know details about grammar and and things like that. I think you'll find very helpful. Now I am not a Greek scholar, and I am not a New Testament textual scholar, but I do know how to do careful linguistic and textual research and try to sift these things out. So I personally lean in this direction as well. Hey, for those that do want to stand with our ministries, you mentioned Mario. Easiest way is go to ask. DrBrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Just click on Donate. And in point of fact, I've had to cancel some of my traveling for a little while just as I get over COVID. And then, obviously, the hospital bills and insurance doesn't cover. We'll have some financial needs coming up personally and corporately. Anything you do to help, we appreciate it. A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Click on Donate. Hey, thank you for the call. All right, I want to get to Skip, Carl, Omar, a bunch of other calls on the other side of the break. And I also want to share with you what I wrote back in 2011. Uh, Let me give you bad news and good news again. Bad news. There's a lot that's happened in our society that's been very wrong, very negative in terms of family values, in terms of the meaning of marriage, in terms of sexual purity, in terms of consciousness of God 
in terms of respect for the scriptures, in terms of the state of the church. A, a, a lot of bad things have happened, and I'd be the last to deny them. Good news is, for years we've been saying many of these things would happen. For years we've been saying this is the way society's going, but God has an answer. So the bad news is things are bad. The good news is we knew a lot of this would be happening. We put it in writing and preached it as loudly and clearly as we could for years. Now we're saying, hey, we do have the solution. We've told you about the spiritual and moral and cultural sickness, but we do have the solution. We will be friends right back on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, thrilled to be coming live to you again after a recent little battle with COVID. 866-348-7884. All calls on all subjects, warmly welcome. And then tomorrow, God willing, Thursday, Jewish Thursday, and Friday, you've got questions. We've got answers. Uh, and if, if I sound a little different, long story, I'm in our new studio, but although the connection yesterday was fine, something happened today, no one can figure out, but we'll get it worked out. So I've had to call in rather than use our normal high quality studio mic. And then the plan is, as we're audio only by, by design, today, tomorrow, and Friday, that Monday we reveal the new studio and some great new intro music as well. Uh, okay, before I read to you what I wrote in 2011 and ask the question, when I said it's not too late to turn the tide then, things have gotten only worse since then. Why is it not too late to turn the tide today? Before I read that, share that with you, let's take another call We'll go over to Utah. Skip, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call, and I'm glad to hear you're doing better. Thank you so much. First off, um, I'm just curious. You know, I hear a lot of uh, preaching about homosexuality. Um, most Christians would agree that, well, I, I don't know for sure. I'm just asking what you would think. Would practicing homosexuals go to hell? Yes, just like practicing adulterers, practicing extortioners, practicing fornicators, practicing idolaters, as long as they are willfully sinning. In other words, if, if, if a Christian man was in a homosexual relationship and he broke off with it, his friend broke off with it, and they have a weak moment and they—, they fall back into sin, and they ask God for help. Well, God's incredibly merciful with every one of us. He's incredibly merciful. But if they said, no, we are going to live in sin, we are going to cast off the lordship of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 lays okay. out plainly that those who live like this 
be it practicing adulterers, practicing fornicators, practicing homosexuals, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not in the special category, right? This is just like any I get other you, I sin. Get you. Yep. Basically, I just wanted to, yeah, no, and, and I understand all of the, the reasoning in that. But what people don't talk about, and I think money is as big a problem as any other, people don't really talk about the rich. And in the Bible, it says that it's harder to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to go to heaven. So I'm just curious why a lot of Christians preach that homosexuality is such a sin and you're going to hell when a lot of these people have a lot more than they give. So I would just like to hear... Let me me ask you a question. You, You agree with what the Bible says about homosexual practice, correct? You're not disputing that. Now, 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 my only thing is, and I'm not gay, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue. I don't argue no, the I'm word of just, God. I, I want to understand. So, so there, there, there are two reasons for this. One, let me give you three reasons. One, because homosexual activism is in our face day and night, and it's affecting our families, it's affecting our kids, it's affecting the world around so us. So is money, sir. So it, it's, it's like, hang on, can I respond? Is that all right? Yeah. So, great, great. So. The first thing is, this is an agenda coming our way every day. It's like, it's raining, you take out the umbrella. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there's hypocrisy in the church. That we, we, how much do we talk about divorce? No fault divorce. How much do we talk about other things? Or just greed or covetousness in general? So reason number two is there's a lot of hypocrisy and double standards. So in that sense, I agree with you. But the Bible never says that being rich is sinful in itself. First Timothy 6, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Command those who are rich in this world to be generous, to store up treasure in, in heaven. There were rich people who helped the ministry of Jesus. And throughout the book of Proverbs, there, there are promises of blessing on those who are generous, and blessing on those who, who are hardworking. So the problem is covetousness and greed. And nowhere does the Bible say a rich person can't go to heaven. Their challenge is because of covetousness. But the Bible does say a practicing homosexual can't go to heaven, and a practicing greedy person, an extortioner, etc., or others, cannot go to heaven. So again, my three answers. Number one, there's more preaching about homosexuality, although overall in churches, it, it gets very little attention. Number one, because of the agenda, which is knocking on our door incessantly and must be responded to. That's one. Two, uh, there's more preaching on this than issues of covetousness and greed because of hypocrisy and double standards. And three, because being rich in itself is not a sin. Rich is having your heart is a sin. But being rich in itself is not a sin. Some of the godliest people in the Bible were very rich, and they were also very generous. And the idea that, and, and in fact, the biblical call is, is for equal generosity. In, in other words, according to what you have, you give. And, and, and for grace to be shown to those in need, so that there are no divisions among us, because those who are struggling are helped by those who have more. So those are patterns to strive for. But if you read through the New Testament, you read through polemics against grief and becoming rich by sinful means, but not against being rich itself. Thank, thank you 
for the call. Much appreciated. Okay, so on that note, the question about homosexual practice, uh, let me read to you what I wrote in 2011. This is the last chapter of my book, 700 pages, 1,500 endnotes, A Queer Thing Happened to America, and what a long, strange trip it's been. And the last chapter was called GLBT and Beyond, Reflections on Our Current Trajectory. In those days, you put the G before the L. Now it's LGBT. So uh, this is before the Supreme Court radically redefined marriage, outrageously so. This is before, quote, transgender rights became what President Biden said is the human rights issue of today. This is before a lot of other things went wrong in our society. But in this chapter, I lay out, and in the book, I said all this was going to happen. I mean, none of this is a surprise. We laid it out. Out. So here's what I wrote, 2011. A queer thing indeed has happened to America, but there is a way forward, not backward, a better way, a straighter way. It is not too late to turn the tide, no matter how daunting the task might appear in light of the massive societal shifts that have taken place in the last generation. In times like these, when it is easy to be discouraged, we do well to recall the words of Mahatma Gandhi, when I despair, I remember that all through history, the ways of truth and love have always won. Without a doubt, those of us who oppose the current trajectory of GLBT and beyond will be told that we are on the wrong side of history, that we have branded ourselves as intolerant bigots, that we have marginalized ourselves to the point of no return. So be it. It's better to stand there for what is right than to have the approval of the masses. It is better to swim against the tide when it is going in the wrong direction than to be carried along with the always fickle whims of current public opinion. Do we really have a choice? Can we simply sit back and let gender anarchy rule the day? Rule the day? What will we say to our children and grandchildren? How will we explain to them that it was on our watch that mother and father became parent A and parent B? That North American courts ruled that public use of certain verses in the Bible was a hate crime punishable by law? That businesses were penalized because they would not support gay activism? That college professors were fired and university students dismissed because they took issue with homosexual practice. How will we justify our silence and inaction? To be sure, our work is cut out for us. Some of us need to get involved in our schools from preschool to high school, while others need to make an impact on the colleges and universities. Still others need to help reshape the media and make our voices heard in the political realm and the business world. And all of us need to be a positive influence in society giving attention to our own lives and marriages and families if they're out of order, fixing heterosexual marriage and society and sexuality is at the top of the list. As for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we should understand the import of his words, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Put another way by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. Now is the time to put this into practice. We need to recover scriptural truth in our houses of worship and win the battle of semantics, indeed the battle for sanity, in the marketplace of ideas. And we need to do all this while walking in genuine love towards DLDBT individuals who will certainly view us as villains out to destroy their lives and steal their rights. Let us persevere through inevitable vilification and misunderstanding that will be heaped upon us and let us stand tall and unashamed. History is 
awaiting our move. Friends, would you change anything in what I wrote there? Would you say, well, there's no reason for us to get involved in society? Well, there's no reason for us to get involved in schools? Well, we'll just let things go from bad to worse? Or is there every reason, seeing that the negative things we predicted have come like a flood, say, okay, uh, think of it like this. If we didn't implement good strategies five or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years ago, as a result of which we are in a state of rapid moral and cultural decline, why shouldn't we implement those strategies now? Why is it too late now, especially with the, the spiritual weapons we have, the weapons of prayer and the preaching of the gospel and the power of the spirit to hey set friends, people free? It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. One more segment, so I want to get to as many calls as I can. 866 three, four, truth. Let's go to Carl in North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. How are you, Dr. Brown? Doing better every day. Thank you. Your voice sounds stronger today than it did yesterday. Yeah, each day. Thanks so much. Well, question I was asking you about in the 82nd chapter of Psalm, it says, Elohim stands in the divine assembly. He administers judgment in the midst of the Elohim. So, Elohim can be plural or singular, correct? Yes, so you can speak of Elohim, God with a capital G, or Elohim, gods with a small g. That's what I'm asking. There were other gods besides Yahweh, correct? Yes and no. Yes, in terms of the Bible calling them gods, right? And and verses like Exodus 15, who is like you among the gods? Or in Exodus 12, God will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. So in that sense, the the Bible does acknowledge other, quote, gods. But then it explicitly says they are not gods at all. There's only one who's truly God. These are all false gods. And Paul in the New Testament tells us they're just demons. So in other words, they're... Excuse me? Who I'm getting this from is a guy named Michael, A-T-E-I-S, Michael Heiser from the Unseen Realm. Yeah, Michael Heiser. Yes. Heiser. Okay. So Michael Heiser is a friend of mine, is an excellent Old Testament and Semitic scholar. And in his view, oh, okay, we, we know in the ancient world, the world of idolatry and polytheism, that saying in Canaanite mythology, Ale which is another name for God, was considered right. the chief deity, and he had a council of, of other gods that he ruled over. And that would be reflected in Psalm 82, 
which is saying that Yahweh, who is who is the ultimate El, the ultimate God, rules over this this divine council, which would be angels. Then, in, in other words, the 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 ones that the nations worship as gods, and the so-called divine council would be angels created by God, and that's who God is speaking of in Psalm 82. That's how Dr. Heiser would interpret it. The other way it's interpreted is that originally this was, some of these words were used about Ale and the Council of Gods in Canaanite mythology, and now they are taken over by, by the people of Israel, and God says, no, no, there's only one God, that's Yahweh. That's Yahweh, and the ones who function as Elohim are the earthly judges that God has appointed, and because of their sin and failure, they will just die as men. So this is a, an important debate that Dr. Heiser has brought back out again. Again, he would emphasize strongly that there's only one real God. So, Carl, when we speak of God, we mean the creator of the universe, right? So in that sense, that. there's only one. Excuse me? But he, I understand that, but he says more or less there's a hierarchy. There's Yahweh, sons of God, then the angels. Right, so I, I would differ. I would say sons of God and angels are synonymous in the Bible. Well, I, and that the nations, I, I, may, the nations may worship these angels as gods, but they are not gods. Okay, but Heiser does seem to say there were, there were like a like Jesus, Son of God, but he was the only begotten, not necessarily meaning the only one, but the most unique. Right, right. Well, that, that has nothing to do with this subject. In, in other words, that's just okay. a right understanding of the Greek. Okay. That's a separate thing. Okay. That, that the okay. Greek, rather than saying only begotten, should be saying one and only unique. So, so here's, the, here's the deal, Carl. Um, to, to Dr. Heiser's shock, the book became a bestseller, The Unseen Realm. I mean, we were chatting about it when we were in Jacksonville oh, last June, and it was the last thought in his mind that this would become this mega bestseller, that his other books on angels and demons would become bestsellers, because he's, he's a scholar. So I'd encourage you to learn a lot from the book, but always in the context of there's only one true God, as you know and you affirm, there's only one eternal deity. That's the God we worship. Everything else is a created being. And as I see it, basically you have the, the realm of the angels, some of whom fell and are in rebellion, and then the question of the origin of demons, which is another subject. Hey, Carl, thank you so much for the call. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Omar in Canada. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello, Michael, Dr. Michael Brown. Hello, sir. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, go me? ahead. Yes. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you, sir. I, I watch a lot of your debates on, on, on YouTube and so on. But I have two quick questions for you. Um, yes. Do, are you familiar with the, the, the teachings and work of Miles Monroe, specifically in God to the Kingdom of God? In terms Could you of give me the name the again? Dr. Miles Monroe. Um, yes. 
So I, I have come to realize um, through him that uh, the gospel of the kingdom is not being preached as how it should, um, as old Jesus would uh, as, as stated it. And I, and I wonder, um, when I listen to you, there's not a lot of emphasis placed on preaching that gospel of the kingdom. Um, I'm, that's, that's how, how would you I define it? How, yeah, how, how would you define the gospel of the kingdom? Well, the gospel of the kingdom um, is, the, is the ultimate message of Jesus. Uh, if, you, if you want to know what is a kingdom, that's a, a simple definition. It's the government of God, or it's a type of government that is ruled by a king. So Jesus wasn't. Yes. Yeah, so wherever, wherever here. So in, in the New Testament, uh, the the gospel of the kingdom of God and uh, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. Matthew just uses it um, as as a, a Jewish way of speech, and uh, they are also synonymous with the gospel of grace. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel I preach and live by, which is that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that there is redemption and salvation found only in him, that we are called as his followers to submit to his lordship, so to live out and demonstrate our faith, and that all authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus, and therefore we go and make disciples until he returns. I do not believe that the Church will, quote, take over before Jesus returns. I do not believe that the Church will have dominion over every area of society before Jesus returns. It'd be wonderful if that happened, but I don't believe that is what Scripture teaches, nor do I see that anywhere in the New Testament as the gospel of the kingdom. You say, but where's the kingdom aspect? The kingdom is where the king is, and wherever the gospel goes and people submit to the rule and reign of God, they have come into the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul writes in Romans fourteen seventeen, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So around the world, God's kingdom is advancing as, as hundreds and millions of people come to know Jesus and submit to his lordship, and light shines more and more and more in the midst of a dark and corrupt world. And ultimately, we preach that when Jesus returns, he will establish his kingdom here on the earth and will rule and reign from Jerusalem over the entire world and will assert his dominion and authority. But the only dominion and authority that we can assert is spiritual. In other words, we can take authority over demonic powers. We can take authority over sin in our own lives. But we do not have the power to rule over morning. other people. I do event. not see that as Talk part of the of gospel of the, the kingdom. Hey, thank you, sir, Fred for the call. Days, so Much appreciated. 8663. Why am I giving out the number with only seconds left in the show? Okay. Uh, I'm out of time. Tomorrow, uh, I want to talk to you about the hostage crisis in Texas. And the way it was initially reported, I want to talk to you about that. The FBI initially saying that the demands did not relate to the Jewish community. People are like, what? I want to talk to you about some of what actually happened during that. 
Um, catch up on some interesting news from Israel regarding vaccinations and things like that, as there's more and more acknowledgement that even with a fourth jab, it's really not effective against Omicron. So we'll talk about that. And then, as always, take your Jewish-related calls. Hey, for all of you who have prayed while I was sick, as I said initially, when when I first got COVID, it was so minor, I thought, I don't want to post anything because so many others are, are really struggling. And, and why have people get worried and concerned? But then when I had that, that rough patch and did ask for prayer, so many of you did pray, and it meant the world to me. I, I really felt a great confidence in the midst of those prayers and um, look forward to being on every level, full strength, to run my race even more effectively than ever. And friends, to serve you, to be here for you, because together in Jesus, we are making a difference. And it is not too late to turn the tide. God bless. Another program powered by the Truth Network.